Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda, a podcast series focusing on the evolving complexities of the sustainability landscape with a view on addressing current issues in a concise format to help you navigate and take action. I'm your host, Dominique Barker. Please join me as we explore today's most pressing matters with special guests that will give you some new perspective and help you make sense of what really matters. So the loss of nature and its ecosystem services from from raw materials and food to climate regulation and flood protection brings high financial as well as social and environmental risks. Hello and welcome to our three-part series leading into COP15. We've just returned from COP27, which took place in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, which had an overarching theme about the global south and about reparations and loss and damage. Basically, how do we get money from developed countries into emerging markets and how do we protect countries from further damage? COP15 is concerned with biodiversity. And frankly, I didn't know anything about it until this past year. And I wondered, what is the difference between COP15 and COP27? So COP15 is about biodiversity. COP27 is really for climate change. It came on my radar for two main reasons this past year. The first is that it was originally taking place in Kunming, China this past April 2022. But with China's zero COVID policy, a decision was made this past June 2022 to instead of deferring the conference to move it from China to Canada. So it's now taking place in Montreal from December 5th to 17th this year, 2022. Second reason is related to something called TNFD, which you're going to hear about in this series. That's the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure. It's disclosure recommendations that will be coming out next year that relate to how we disclose the impact that businesses have on nature. And it really starts to show a path on how we can incorporate biodiversity into financial products. And I'll give you a good example of that. There is something called the rhino bond. And yes, you heard me right. That's a rhino as in rhinoceros. It was issued by the World Bank's Wildlife Conservation Fund this past March 2022. And it measured success or its KPI or key performance indicator was a measure of the rhino population increasing. So we can see a potential growth in these type of products as this sort of disclosure becomes more defined. So today we're launching a three-part series. Our first one will be with Gemma Cranston. I will note that at the time we recorded this episode, she was with the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership, but she's just recently taken a role and she started as an executive director at Pollination. So she'll be doing an intro into the concept. Our second will be with Camille Maclay, and he is part of the Biodiversity Consultancy with the UN Convention on Biological Diversity. And that's where we'll talk about the TNFD framework. And you'll hear a little bit more about that or the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure. And third and finally, we'll be speaking to Brandon Lewis, who's with Manulife Investment Management, and we'll be speaking about the practical implications of investing in natural capital. So as we approach COP15, I do believe this will become a topic of increasing importance to the financial community and also to our clients. And so hopefully this gives you a little bit of an overview as we approach COP15 and as TNFD disclosure becomes public next year and as we have definitions around how we can incorporate nature into some financial decisions. Today, we welcome Dr. Gemma Cranston, Director of Business and Nature at Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. In her role, Gemma supports business leaders to develop nature-positive strategies and commitments. 
On today's episode, we're going to be discussing nature loss and how it poses both risks and opportunities for businesses and financial institutions now and in the future. Good morning, Gemma. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Sustainability Agenda. Hi, Dominique. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. And by the way, just a shout out, Gemma hosted one of our panels at our recent sustainability conference. Please take a look at the replay. It was a fantastic panel on natural capital. So Gemma, first, let's start by taking a stab at defining nature and by extension, biodiversity. Why is it so important to society? It's a really great question. When we think about biodiversity, and about nature, we often think of things like tigers, polar bears, humpback whales, the dulcet tones of Sir David Attenborough. Mm. Um, but it is so much more than that. Biodiversity or biological diversity is the multitude of living things that make up life on Earth. It encompasses um, 8 million or so species on the planet, from plants and animals to fungi and bacteria and the ecosystems that house them, such as oceans, forests, mountain environments, coral reefs, and so on. Human societies and economic activities rely on biodiversity in fundamental ways. And research has actually shown that $44 trillion of economic value generation, more than half of the world's total GDP, is moderately or highly dependent on nature and its services, and is therefore exposed to nature loss. It's easy to think about nature and biodiversity in the abstract, but only by thinking about tigers, polar bears, and those humpback whales, it's easy to miss the importance of nature in the day-to-day functioning and um, engagement of our businesses and our global economy. And the $44 trillion, who calculated that? What's the source on that number? Um, so the $44 trillion was calculated by WEF, the World Economic Forum. Thank you. Most people might not know, but biodiversity and climate change are intertwined. Do you want to speak to that point and get into it a little bit more? Absolutely. So um, over the last decade or so, numerous initiatives like the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, have really driven a surge in assessment and reporting of company, investor, and financiers' climate-related financial risks and what we call carbon footprints. However, climate change is just one pillar of an environmental market failure. Nature is also in dramatic and sharp decline. And without rapid and systemic change, landscape degradation and subsequent biodiversity loss will disrupt the world's economy in a massive and unpredictable way. As I mentioned, climate change and nature loss are deeply interconnected, intertwined. So what do we mean by that? Temperature rises, changes in precipitation patterns and extreme weather events have a range of impacts on nature. Furthermore, The decline of nature affects weather patterns and the resilience of ecosystems in the face of impacts from climate change, as well as their ability to capture and store carbon, which also is able to provide um, benefits to society. So by working with nature, this is a clear way to reduce the costs of nature loss and can be beneficial to businesses. And it also provides long-term resilience, security of supply, 
enables license to operate and, of course, provides the usual reputational gains that we're all so familiar with. Thank you. And why should businesses engage with nature loss and what is their critical role? A lot of our audience today will be from the C-suite or from boards of directors. Why, Why should they care? So the loss of nature and its ecosystem services from from raw materials and food to climate regulation and flood protection brings high financial as well as social and environmental risks. With more than half of the global GDP highly or moderately dependent on nature, as I've mentioned, yet the world's natural resources do continue to decline. Unless this trend is reversed, it has been estimated by the World Economic Forum that at least 10 trillion US dollars of GDP will be lost by 2050 as ecosystem services declined. And global financial institutions are actually among sectors exposed to businesses' risks and their potential losses as a result. So really, to avoid irreparable damage, the value of nature needs to be integrated into every financial decision. This has implications for the finance sector and also for the corporate sector and their finance teams. This integration can ensure that capital is mobilized away Mm. from destructive activities and towards those that restore and protect nature so we can deliver this so-called nature positive economy. And I think one thing that's maybe misunderstood by people is that once nature is lost, it's really hard to bring it back. And so that's why that protection element that you've just discussed is so important. So as I think we can all imagine for business, this is a really complicated area to navigate. This is not what corporates are used to doing. Can you point to some tools that can be used by corporates to understand their nature impacts? Any advice you would give? I mean, this is an overwhelming area for them, as um, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's a huge and complex area, um, but we we shouldn't shy away from that. Um, you know, we have the opportunity to take action now and not be afraid of things being complex. It's about taking taking the first steps and being brave um, to deliver change and transformation. And financial institutions and, and companies really want to understand fundamentally how nature impacts on an organization's financial performance, right? And are looking for ways to consider longer-term nature-related financial risks that may result from decisions made by an organization. So financial institutions are now beginning to consider how to incorporate nature-related risks and opportunities into their strategic planning, risk management, and asset allocation decisions. However, they require information to flow from companies to do this, And that information is currently not necessarily available. In terms of the sorts of tools that you might need, I mentioned TCFD. We now have TNFD, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure. And this task force is aiming to enable financial institutions to be able to report on their dependence and on their impacts upon nature by developing a risk management and disclosure framework for organizations to report um, and to act on through assessing their nature-related risks. Really what they're trying to do there is to support a shift in global financial flows away from areas that have negative nature outcomes towards nature positive outcomes. And so let's talk about risks and opportunities that nature loss pose to the financial sector. Can you get into those a little bit? Of course. So as nature 
declines and continues to decline, mm-hmm. there are essentially three key points to consider when thinking about why businesses and investors should look at their relationship with nature loss. The first is quite simple. Nature is fundamentally being damaged and is continuously being put at risk. That's the first point. The second is that degradation reduces nature's capacity to provide ecosystem services that, you know, the, the things that we as business, as society, as financial institutions need and depend on. And that happens either temporarily or permanently. So I'm talking about things like agricultural commodities that are traded, um, the water that's needed in factories, the clean air required for a healthy workforce, and so on. And the final, the third point is that these companies are the recipients of finance and investment sources of tax revenue and key links in supply chains. So there is a real vulnerability to nature loss, um, and that is therefore passed on as a vulnerability to investors, lenders, insurers, governments, connected companies, and by extension, a source for potential instability. So that's just the first um, potential area of risk. Those are the, the physical risks, if you like. So in parallel to those physical risks, we also have transition and liability risks, Mm -hmm. which are emerging. So these include things like policies that are being designed to protect nature. Despite their positive impact on nature, such policies can cause economic harm to some companies. And in turn, those financial institutions connected to them. So that's something to be aware of. Now, these physical transition and liability risks can drive a reorientation of portfolios and economic activity. And as I've mentioned, this can result in financial flows being redirected to boost ecosystem services that can provide benefits, positive benefits to people and really support um, and drive transition to a nature positive economy. And what is disturbing about everything that we're talking about today is that the value of nature is only felt once it's lost. So, you know, that, that, that's going to be a challenge. And, um, maybe I'll, I'll just finish with the last question, which is the role of financial institutions in mitigating nature loss. And I mean, I am aware that there's a lot falling on financial institutions in terms of helping to solve societal issues, but, um, why not pile it on? What can we do? <laughs> So there's actually quite a lot that could potentially be done. So first of all, it's, you know, I talked about these baby steps. So first of all, financial institutions can identify the nature related sources of financial risk and then begin to embed nature into their operations, risk frameworks and portfolio strategies. Once we've got that embedded and the logic of financial decision making can be rewired, that's when we're going to get the, the much needed private capital that can be mobilized towards nature-based solutions. And that transition to a nature-positive economy um, can be catalyzed. So to accelerate nature integration, there are a few things that you could consider. So I've talked about broadening environmental risk into thinking about nature and climate together. You can think about improving supply chain transparency, recognizing that that is often hailed as something that's very difficult and challenging to do accurately but I would recommend that you can at least get um, a high level macro idea of where those um, supply chains are are coming from and and tracking the value chain. There's been much discussion around creating tools to automate risk assessments 
um, you know, use cases are really time consuming. So we need to speed up um, that process. Options to include nature in portfolio company engagement. So when you're out talking to your clients, make sure you're having those conversations with portfolio companies as required. Data, data, data. That's what everyone always says. Let's generate more open access environmental data. Intelligence about nature-related risks needs to be economy-wide. Otherwise, smaller companies risk being more exposed. And then that transition to nature positive is not going to be um, inclusive. And then finally, Think about how to onboard and support motivated risk analysts. We need the right active mindsets with appropriate expertise to be able to ensure that the integration of nature into financial models is actually going to be possible. So a few a few things to think about. <laughs> Great. Well, that does seem overwhelming. I do know there's quite a bit of work going on in terms of data, in terms of measuring biodiversity by hectare, for example, there's there, by DNA. I mean, it's, it's amazing the technology and what some of the innovation happening in, in this area. Gemma, thank you so much. I think there was one comment you made at our conference. What was the sentence about the bees sending us a bill? Yeah, we don't get a bill from the bees. So, so much of this is hidden. Um, they're called externalities. So we don't consider nature in our, um, in our P&Ls, in our profit and loss. We, we're not being invoiced by nature. So we need to ensure that we value it, whether we monetize it or not. I, I don't think that matters quite so much, but we have to account for it in some way, shape or form. Gemma, thank you so much for taking time today to discuss this with us in our inaugural three-part series on natural capital. And hopefully, maybe we'll see you at COP15. And thank you very much for all that you do in this area. And thank you for our listeners for tuning in. Please join us next time as we tackle some of sustainability's biggest questions, providing different perspectives to help you move forward. I'm your host, Dominique Barker, and this is The Sustainability Agenda. The materials disclosed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and subject to our code of conduct as well as IROC rules. The information and data contained herein has been obtained or derived from sources believed to be reliable without independent verification by CIBC Capital Markets and to the extent that such information and data is based on sources outside CIBC Capital Markets, we do not represent or warrant that any such information or data is accurate, adequate, or complete. Notwithstanding anything to the contrary herein, CIBC World Markets Inc. and or any affiliate thereof shall not assume any responsibility or liability of any nature in connection with any of the contents of this communication. This communication Communication is tailored for a particular audience and accordingly this message is intended for such specific audience only. Any dissemination, redistribution or other use of this message or the market commentary contained herein by any recipient is unauthorized. This communication should not be construed as a research report. The services, securities and investments discussed in this report may not be available to nor suitable for all investors. Nothing in this communication constitutes a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any specific investments discussed herein. Speakers on this podcast do not have any actual implied or apparent authority to act on behalf of any issue or mentioned in this podcast. The commentary and opinions expressed here herein are solely those of the individual speakers, except where the author expressly states them to be the opinions of CIBC World Markets, Inc. The speakers may provide short-term trading views or ideas on issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments, but investors should not expect continuing analysis, views, or discussion relating to those instruments discussed herein. Any information provided herein is not intended to represent an adequate basis for investors to make an informed investment decision and is subject to change without notice. CIBC Capital Markets is a trademark brand name under which Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, CIBC, its subsidiaries and affiliates provide products and services to our customers customers around the world. For more information about these legal entities, as well as the products and services offered by CIBC Capital Markets, please visit www.cibccm.com.